Chapter Twenty Four of Paul the Dauntless. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Leeson. Paul the Dauntless by Basil Joseph Matthews. Chapter Twenty Four: The Challenge to Corinth. With the morning sun astern, the ship in which Paul had taken passage tacked up the broad gulf past Salamis Island toward Sancria. As she ran westward and the day wore on, the purple mountains drew closer to the gulf, till the waters lapped the feet of the hills. Paul, as he stood at the bow, gazing toward the now setting sun, could see the stone piers of Sincrea Harbor, backed by the busy port town, and, as they drew still nearer, he could catch, beyond the town itself, the gleam of marble temples through the trees. The boat threaded its way through the shipping of the port, where Paul could hear the songs and the shouting of the sailors, black sailors from the Nile, and swarthy men out of Spain, with Phoenicians, Syrians from Antioch, and men of Tarsus and Rhodes and Ephesus. The whole port was alive with movement and sound, the thud of sacks thrown down on the wharves from the ship's holds, the endless processions of men with jars of oil on their shoulders passing over the gangways, the grunting camels and the donkeys being loaded with corn and wine and cheese and silks. Sincrea was one of the busiest harbors in the world, for it was the gateway from the east to Corinth and along the Gulf of Corinth to Italy and all the west. But every large ship that came must unload at Sincrea, so that the camels and asses and the bullock wagons might carry the goods across the nine miles of isthmus that lay between the two gulfs. Smaller boats were often not unloaded, but were dragged over rollers across the land all day by slaves, and then slipped into the gulf on the other side. Paul landed at the harbor, and next morning took the crowded road for Corinth, across the isthmus over which the caravans were bearing the loads from port to port. On this isthmus, at the place where it is little more than four miles wide, the great Isthmian games were held, which drew over thirty thousand Greeks from all the country round, from the towns along the two gulfs and from the mountain lands of Greece, from Parnassus and Helicon and Delphi. The finest athletes from the different cities came together there every two years for these great Isthmian games. They wrestled and boxed with iron-studded leather straps over their knuckles, they fought lions from Africa and tigers from the east simply armed with shield and sword. They flung spears and threw quoits and ran foot-races. Amid the frenzied cheers of the Greeks, the charioteers drove their quivering, galloping horses round the stadium. The prize to each winner was simply a wreath cut by a priest with a golden knife from trees in the sacred grove near the sea where the temple of Neptune stood. When the proud winner went back to his little city among the hills, with his withering wreath in his hand, the council and the people would gather to cheer and wave ribbons in the air, and a sculptor would make a statue of the winner in marble, and set it up in the city square, and on the head of the statue a wreath was carved. Paul, passing on, went through the Sincrea gate of the city of Corinth, and straight along the street till he came out into the open market, where men sold goods from all over the world of that day. The market and the streets were not old, for the old city had been wiped out by a conqueror centuries earlier. But Julius Caesar, a short time before he started the conquest of Britain, and some fifty years before Paul was born, had rebuilt Corinth. 
the city was now immensely rich for the merchants of rome and potioli brundisium and spain brought their wares to corinth in exchange with the merchants of philippi and thessalonica ephesus smyrna and rhodes and on all the goods that changed hands corinth itself levied toll the sound of the click and hiss and clump of a hand-loom caught paul's ear he looked into a little open shop and saw a man of his own handicraft making tent cloth in the tent-maker's booth lay ropes and lengths of cloth poles and pegs paul saw at once that the tent-maker was a jew he stopped and spoke to him saying that he himself was a tent-maker my name is aquila the jew told him as he paused in his work i have come with my wife priscilla from rome we have been driven from rome with many many more by the emperor for claudius has passed an edict exiling all jews from rome on pain of death my old home was far away in pontus then paul would tell aquila that his home was away in cilicia pontus lay far north of cilicia on the shores of the black sea aquila invited paul into his house paul went into the shadow of the dark workshop and into the living-room behind where priscilla was at her housework the three soon became fast friends and it was settled that paul should live with them while he was at corinth paul set to work with needle and thread upon the heavy haircloth making tents so that he should be earning his own living at night when work was done aquila would tell paul about corinth and sometimes paul would go out in the day to see the city close behind corinth he saw overshadowing the city the great cone of the acrocorinth a hill that leapt sheer out of the plain a thousand feet in height up the one steep path along the western face of the hill men climbed to the wall-surrounded citadel at the top like a crown on the height itself stood a beautiful temple of venus attended by a thousand priestesses dressed in white robes yet living unclean lives that spread evil through all the city beneath if paul climbed the steep path to that hilltop he would see looking east the roofs of Cenchrea and the blue gulf running down to athens while to the west the lovely gulf of corinth ran out to the adriatic sea and toward italy itself and to the north rose the beautiful mountains on the blue haze across the gulf on the sabbath paul and his friends went down the busy streets for corinth had no rest day and into the meeting-house passing under the lintel on which synagogue of the hebrews was carved in greek paul would be received with great respect by the elders and people for he was a rabbi who had graduated at jerusalem at the feet of the great gamaliel there was a stir however in the synagogue when this newcomer with his swift speech and passionate words told these people who waited for the messiah that already the christ had been born and had died the death of a felon on a roman cross and had been raised again we are not told what he said to them only that he reasoned in the synagogue every sabbath one thing we know that he had made up his mind that the method he used at athens was not the one for him to use here for as he wrote to them i did not come to you with clever speech or with wisdom i made up my mind not to know anything among you except jesus christ and him crucified the jews in the synagogue muttered uneasily at this man who dared to say that a man who was nailed to a roman gallows could ever be the son of god about that time two men a young greek who however had a jewish tinge in his hair and face 
and an older bearded man came walking into Corinth. Paul's eyes lighted with joy as he saw them. They were his comrades, Silas and Timothy, who had hurried down from Macedonia, Timothy from Thessalonica and Silas from Berea, to Athens and had followed him on to Corinth. Paul simply overflowed with joy when he heard that persecution utterly failed to shake the courage of the Christians in Thessalonica, and he sat down at once and dictated a letter to them. Timothy would sit with a long scroll of papyrus unrolled, writing down in Greek letters. This is a part of what he wrote. When Timothy came just now from you to us, and brought us glad news of your faith and love, and that you have good remembrance of us all the time, wishing as greatly to see us as we desire to see you, then, brothers, we were made happy over you. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. How can we express our thanks to God again for you, for all the joy that makes us glad for your sakes before our God? love one another study to be quiet do your own business and work with your own hands do not do evil for evil to any man paul now seemed aflame as never before with the good news that he had to tell to corinth like a mountain torrent in full spate his words would not wait nor could he brook delay he stood before the synagogue and cried to them with arms outstretched we come as ambassadors for christ as though god sent us to win you to him we come showing ourselves to be his ministers patiently in suffering in poverty in distresses beaten imprisoned and mobbed laboring watching going hungry by pureness by knowledge by the holy spirit by love without fraud by the armor of justness on the right arm and on the left men sorrowful yet always full of joy poor and yet making many others rich having nothing and yet possessing everything he looked round on them the chief man in the synagogue crispus was looking at him with eyes glowing as though all the world had become new but others stood up and with angry voices asked how long they must listen to this blasphemous fellow who declared a mere peasant criminal was the son of god paul's blood was up he had given them their chance of knowing the truth they refused and in his mind there came the picture of the corinth outside the synagogue out there under the winter sky of greece the corinth with its theatres and stadium its temples and markets its wild and wanton evil then with a rush the intolerable craving shivers throughout me like a trumpet call oh to save these to perish for their saving die for their life be offered for them all paul rose and loosening his robe he took its skirt in both hands and shook it at them as though he shook the dust of the place from him and with passion in his voice he cried your blood be upon your own heads i am clean from this hour onward i go to the peoples the contemptuous shaking out of his tunic infuriated the jews who ground their teeth on him as he went out of the synagogue never to return Close by the synagogue lived a man named Titius Justus, a Roman who had become a fellow worshipper with the Jews, but now shared Paul's faith. Justus and Paul, being both Roman citizens, would have a fellow feeling. So when Crispus, the chief man of the synagogue, came out with Paul, they went into Justus's house next door. Here Paul gathered those who wished to hear him, and many of the Corinthians who would never have appeared inside a synagogue 
came to listen and believed on Jesus Christ. Yet Paul, as he thought of the anger his protest must have provoked, wondered if it would not be better to remain quiet for a little, for he now knew that the Jews would be sure to set up a ferment against him, as they had done in Lystra, Philippi, Thessalonica, and indeed all along his path. When Paul lay on his mat bed, wondering what would happen next to him, there came a vision in his sleep. These words came to him in a vision, as from Jesus Christ to himself. Do not be afraid. Speak on. Do not hold your peace. I am with you. No man shall hurt you, for I have many people in this city. So Paul boldly went on with his speaking. We know some of the words that he said, for he wrote afterward in one of his letters to the Christians at Corinth, If ye keep in memory what I preach to you, first and foremost that Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day and was seen of Peter and then of the twelve, and last of all he was seen by me also. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my loved brothers, stand, stand fast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, you men in this city that is full of temples to the gods, that you yourselves are the temple of God. The Spirit of God lives in you as in a temple. If any man makes God's temple unclean, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you yourselves are. So he taught them that they must keep their lives as a spotless temple, in that city which was so filthy in its life that even in the Roman Empire of that day, to be called a Corinthian was to be called a man of dishonorable name. Do you not know, he said to these men who had from the time they were boys been familiar with the Isthmian games, that they which run in a race all run, but one wins the prize. So run that you may be victors and every man entering for an athletic contest goes into thorough training. Now they do this to win a wreath that will wither, but we for a wreath that cannot fade. I therefore run, not as a man who does not know the goal, I box not like a man beating the air, no, I buffet my body to be master of it. The more vigorously Paul spoke to the people of Corinth, and the greater the number of men and women who came to him, the more furious did the Jews become but they seemed to be unable to do anything. They would, like the Jews in Philippi, have trumped up some evidence that Paul was teaching people to break the Roman law, but probably the governor of Corinth, which was capital of all Achaia, i.e. South Greece, was friendly to Paul and perhaps knew, it may be through justice, that Paul was a loyal, free-born Roman citizen. At last this governor was recalled to Rome, and a new proconsul was appointed, Gallio, the brother of that famous author Seneca, who became private tutor to young Nero. The Jews made up their mind to try now, once and for all, to get Paul stopped in his work. The proconsul sat at certain hours on his ivory sedile of office on the marble dais of justice for any to bring their case before him. So the Jews seized Paul and drew him along to the tribunal. Gallio looked up as the rabble of Jews came crowding in breathlessly. "'What is it?' he asked. "'This fellow,' said their leader, probably Sosthenes, the new chief man of the Jewish synagogue, pointing to Paul, "'is persuading men to worship God contrary to the law.' Swiftly Paul stepped forward ready to speak, 
when Gallio with lifted hand called for silence and said, "'You Jews, there would be some sense in my entertaining your charge if it were a matter of breaking the Roman law, but if this is a mere question of debate and words between you, and only concerns your Jewish law, look to it yourselves. I will be no judge of things that do not concern me. Go away.' Gallio signaled to his lictors to drive the crowd of Jews back, and they began to hustle them away. The circle of Greeks who had been watching on the fringe of the crowd, and who had no love to spare for the Jews, no sooner saw the turn events had taken than they set on the Jews, and gripping hold of Sosthenes their leader, they thwacked him with staves right in front of Gallio. But Gallio passed to the next case, and did not lift a finger to protect Sosthenes. End of chapter 24